When Jesus laid out the Beatitudes, he laid out for us the lifestyle of a believer. And not just a believer, but a disciple. As Christians seeking an authentic Christian lifestyle, we want to go beyond the place of believing toward that of a disciple. In this place, we become not just hearers, but also doers of the word. When we take on this mentality, we begin to take the life of Christ and we begin patterning our own life after his. Let's look at the Beatitudes. Perhaps you've read them, maybe you haven't. No matter the case, if you walk through this study with me, you're gonna notice the word blessed is used repeatedly throughout these eight statements. Blessed, a word, if you look to our modern day use of it, it will cause you to lose the depth of what Jesus was really saying here. We toss it around so casually, Christians, non-Christians alike, we're all looking for a blessing. But what was God really saying? Oh, blessings. I have heard a woman or two say these two words to me on more than one occasion. I have read emails that have been signed, blessings. And each time I'm left scratching my head thinking, I don't get it. What in the world? What does this, what does this even mean? What, what am I missing? Do I need to start signing my emails with that word? And do I need to start greeting others? Oh, blessings. Which, if you're doing that, that's great. I don't judge you or think differently because about you because clearly I, I'm not getting it. But for me, no way. I, I just can't. I can, however, pay attention to my curiosity. A curiosity that has led me to this new study that we are diving into starting today. What does it mean to be blessed? Is it having everything we want? Is it a happy feeling? When we look it up in the dictionary, to be blessed, according to Webster, means to be well off, to be happy, and to be fortunate. Is that what it means? Is that what it means when we look at it according to scripture? Or is that really just a watered down word that's led us away from the richness of what God really means when he speaks to us about blessing? Several years ago, I found myself reading through the Sermon on the Mount. I caught myself wondering, I got to the Beatitudes and I caught myself wondering, I have heard people say this is the greatest sermon of all time, but I don't get it. What is the big deal? I've had other experiences in other areas of scripture, and each time the Lord, he has put me in my place. He's opened up my closed mind, and he's shown me time and time again, girl, there is way more to this than your finite mind can grasp in just one sitting. If you guys ever had a time like that? If so, I wonder if you'd be willing to jump on over to the She Chooses Instagram page and share it with me. I want to know I'm not alone. Having had this sort of experience, though, before I've learned when this happens, when this I don't get it mentality sets in, I have got to go straight to the Lord. And with this, I did. And there was, it, it was like he was just waiting for me to ask him, what's the big deal? 
makes me think about I love Max Lucado's stories that he their children's stories that he writes about the Wemmicks. If you've never heard of them or introduced them to your children, you need to check it out for yourself. In these stories, there there's this woodcarver who carves these little wooden people called Wemmicks. He has this beloved little Wemmick named Punchinello who he loves Eli, the woodworker, but he finds himself in this struggle to listen to what Eli is telling him and, and listening to what the other Wemmicks have to say. In the end of one particular book, his, his friend is leading him back to Eli's workshop where Eli helps sand away the things of this world, bringing him back to the truth of what he initially told him. And it enlightens him to his goodness and this overwhelming love that Eli has for his creation. When I feel these things happening to me when I'm reading scripture, I always catch myself feeling like Punchinello, walking myself back to the workshop of our great, great king, sitting down for a good old-fashioned sanding session. This one, this instance, friends, it was such a wonderful, painful sanding experience. As I, I went to God and I prayed, he took me on a journey through the Beatitudes that is shaping my life and helping me to see and understand this was and will always be the greatest sermon of all time. And the Beatitudes is just a, a short little snippet of it. Over the next few episodes, I want us to journey together through the Beatitudes. And as we do, we're going to find there is way more to these than we can grasp in just one sitting. 35,000 decisions. That's the average number one adult makes a day. Some are minuscule. Others are paradigm shifting. But how many are we making and we're not even considering the ripple effect they're setting into motion? She chooses as a place purpose to help women harness decision-making power by allowing God to open our eyes and give us courage to make the one that leads to obedience to his plan, the one that leads us to the promise of hope and future that he's laid out for each of us. If you find yourself in a place where life seems to be obstructing that view and your current state is stuck, Meet me at She Chooses, where together we work intentionally to choose Jesus over and over again. The Beatitudes high level show us how Jesus expects us to live. The question to ask ourselves is, how, how do we know we're living a good life? What's the source of a good life? Good questions for pondering and processing. When we look to scripture, we find that the Pharisees said it was found in a list of regulations. Jesus, however, said it is found in these short paradoxical statements that when we dig, they cut us straight to the core. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, it tells us, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Guys, when we read the Beatitudes and we really hone in on what they're meaning and what God is really showing us in them, we feel that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We see that it's cutting away the things of this world, the mentality of this world, and it is leading us closer 
to the Lord and refining us in our relationship with him. The Beatitudes, they are part of the Sermon on the Mount. We find them in Matthew chapter 5. And here's what it says. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is where we find the Beatitudes. These are the Beatitudes. And we got to stop for a second because as I've been studying and talking about what these precious statements mean, I have learned that prior to this study, I would pronounce blessed as blessed. I wonder if you have read that the same. Is it blessed? Is it blessed? Does it matter? I don't know, but I have corrected myself because never in my life would I ever say, blessed are you, except for in the King James Version. Now back to it. Eight statements here. Eight statements that we are going to dive into over the next few weeks. These have been said to be the most challenging pursuit that any person can engage in. Why? Why would they be so challenging? Because they're nonsensical and countercultural. They set a high, high standard, one that our flesh naturally pushes against. But if we choose to lean in and we choose to dig deeper, we, sh- we learn that they reveal to us this progression of our spiritual life, a progression that we can never fully engage in without God's help, and we will never fully engage in without first going to Jesus. So where do we start? We start where the disciples did. It all begins with Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 says something that stands out to me. It says, Jesus went up into a mountain away from the multitude, and his disciples went to him. To really understand the depth of what these verses are saying, we've got to willingly follow him to that same place and allow Jesus to walk us through these things because we cannot get these on our own. We can't go through the process without first going to our Savior. Guys, this isn't a checkbox list that we often see people make funny little instances about, like the Beatitudes of motherhood, and I don't even know the others, but I've seen them all over the place. No, this isn't a checkbox in a list that comes off the top of your head. This is, in, this is intentional placement, and it's a progression. So we know, we know how to start. We got to get to Jesus. So now we have to make sure we know what does it really mean to be blessed? That's a deep question whenever you really stop to ponder it and consider, wait a second, maybe Webster doesn't know all whenever he's defining these words. So what does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed, I've already said, when we look it up in the dictionary, it means to be well off, to be happy, to be fortunate. But what is God's definition of blessing? 
blessing is something that we're all striving for. Even people that aren't aren't a Christian, they're still striving for a blessed life. Some some look to wealth and fame to get what they to get that sense of blessing that they have obtained it. Others look to God, which truly is the source for blessing. And and what we find in God's word reveals, guys, it's it's no secret. We go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, and we we read, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. When we dive into scripture and what words mean, it is so important we look to see what was the first mention of this word. And here is where we find the first mention of the word blessing. And when we translate that back, we find God's original design for creation was for them to experience prosperity, peace, and fulfillment. Prosperity, peace, and fulfillment. But sin broke that. The Beatitudes teach us how to get back to that place, that place of God's original intention for us. But just as God is a God of order, as we study these, we see that truth that he is a God of order. It is magnified. And the order that he spoke these absolutely matters. So all of you people that think that you can go from step one to step 12 to step seven to step six to step five to step two, guys, it doesn't work here. It does not work because God is a God of order. So what does God say is first? He tells us this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before we dive into the blessed are the poor in spirit, let's let's look at that second part. The is in that statement is a promise for future and a promise for, for right now. So think over, how can we experience the kingdom of heaven while we're here on earth, understanding that nothing here on earth is going to compare to the kingdom of glory that we get to step into in eternity with him. When we read this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, that that sounds totally nonsensical. It t- sounds so counterintuitive. And why? Well, it's because our natural self thinks great things about our flesh. We don't want to acknowledge we're not perfect. But we find a couple of cold, hard truths when we read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, and Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. When he said not one, it really means not one of us. So what does this mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in this sense is bankrupt with no possibility of even making a payment, even on the interest. Jesus said, we need to recognize this is our true spiritual and moral condition. And we have got to go to him and acknowledge, acknowledge we have failed to meet his standards. What does this look like? It looks like Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And there we find, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Who is Jesus talking to? Which of these people meets our definition of poor in spirit? How do we know? What was his posture like? What were the words that he used? You know, that that publican, he couldn't even lift up his eyes. He wouldn't lift up his eyes. He, He smote his breast. He hit his breast. He acknowledged, Lord, be merciful, merciful. I am a sinner. That Pharisee, he is horizontally comparing himself to those that are around him. He's lifting himself up. He's he's, um, reciting his resume to the Lord. Our, Our flesh will lead us to that horizontal comparison, which is exactly what we see in that Pharisee. But God's desire is for us to have a vertical comparison, right? comparing ourselves to him. This publican, this tax collector, he understood that. And if we want to start our progression or continue on it, that's what we've got to do. You know, keeping this question in mind, as we read two verses, there's another promise of scripture to all who acknowledge their spiritual poverty and confess it and repent of it. And these two verses that I want to share with you, thinking about what is the promise as we read through through these, it goes 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The tax collector, he did this beautifully. He confessed, he repented, and we're seeing that he was granted that mercy. He was told that there would be mercy there. Jesus is saying, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So back to another question is, what does a person with a poor spirit look like? It looks like that tax collector, that publican. He was moved to a place of sorrow and grief. The fact that he was a sinner bothered him. It led him to repentance, which that leads us into this next beatitude. Once we recognize the true condition of our hearts, we are moved to sorrow and grief. The next beatitude tells us, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
when we look at this, what is happening here is we're finding the ability to move what is inside to the outside and allowing this portion to happen is absolutely essential and it does astonishing things for our emotional health. Even psychologists will agree, we have to get those issues that are inside of us, we have to get them outside in order for our healing to happen. Again, I want to go back to Genesis. God's first question to Adam was, where are you? Did God know? He absolutely did. So why did he ask? This is God's intentional design. He wanted to hear Adam confess where he was. He knows our sin. He knows our circumstance, circumstance all, of, all of it, but he wants our acknowledgement for us to admit, to profess, and to speak where we are, what is happening, confessing our sin and our great need for him. Biblical mourning is an act of reflection, cleansing, healing, and expression, and it allows us to reflect the image of God out of a pure and redeemed heart. When we look to word for mourning, it's penthos which means an external expression of an internal reality. It is absolutely connected to being poor in spirit, which is, I don't even know, I may be butchering this word, but tokos, that is what means brokenness. When we experience this, ex this experience leads us to penthos. That brokenness leads us to mourning. If you want to be blessed, we have to move our pain from the inward to the outward to give release to God. So those things that those deep things that we have allowed to shame us, to make us feel shame, um, the addictions we battle, perhaps the things that we have faced that we are embarrassed of, things that we wish we were never part of but have happened. Um, all of these things that we want to stuff within us, we can't do that. We can't keep these things. Those things that are hidden have to be brought into the light. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 gives us a, a great bit of why. You know, we find to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. What is happening in this verse? There's so, there's exchanges happening. Beauty for ashes, right? When there's ashes, when we know that there was ashes in, in scripture, there's mourning. They would... They would have ashes and sackcloth to show that they were in mourning. And God is saying, no, take off those ashes. Take off that sackcloth. He's giving them beauty for that ash. Oil of joy is coming for mourning. That garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's this exchange that is happening, guys. And with, with this exchange that's happening, he's promising us. He said, there's a planting that's happening. A planting, a seed that's being planted that is going to grow into a tree, a tree of righteousness that God will be glorified. When we look through the Beatitudes, we see this is a glorification of the Lord and the work that he is able to do. And it raises us up to be able to testify to the glory and the goodness of our great, great father. 
When we look to Psalms chapter 32, verse 3 through 5, we find the opposite of what we just read. It says this, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For when I kept silent, my bones were wasted away. Isn't that what happens, guys? When we have a secret sin or some secret pain and and we're keeping silent because we don't want someone to know that we are not perfect. We don't want someone to know the pain that we have endured because we just want to be normal. We just want to be accepted. But internally, when we do these things, we are wasting away. We see stress in our body and we know that there is physical ramifications when we hold on to stress and depression and all of those things will just pile on us whenever we experience something and we're not helped or we're not allowing healing to happen. Guys, I don't know about you, but Isaiah 61 and 3 sounds a whole lot better to me. I want beauty for my ashes. I want the oil of joy for my mourning. And I want the garment of praise when the spirit of heaviness sets in. Guys, I want, we want to be called trees of righteousness. We want the Lord to plant us. We want him to be glorified in our life. And guys, That glorification, it all is laid out so beautifully for us in this study of the Beatitudes. I wonder if you would join me over the next few weeks as we journey through these beautiful, paradoxical, life-altering statements that the Lord gave to us during the greatest sermon of all times. Wrapping up this episode, what are the big hitters coming out of this study? What are the takeaway points? What we talked about today is the Beatitudes. They lay out for us Jesus's expectation for Christian living. This is an outline. This is the process we are desperately looking for when it comes to how to, what does it look like? What does authentic Christian living really look like? We learned today it all starts with Jesus. We can't do anything when it comes to making it a good life when it comes to making a good life for ourselves or living a good life without first going to him, it all starts at his feet. We can't get around him. We are not self-made women. We're Jesus made his creation. So it only makes sense that we'd start with him, our creator, even though our flesh consistently tells us otherwise, there's just no way around him. He is where our journey begins, and he points us to these eight statements that will unravel us by renewing our mind according to his ways rather than our culture. We talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. This isn't a constant sackcloth and ashes state where we are bound by shame. This is what we see with the publican. He lays the pattern for us where he says, Lord, I am not worthy. I am a sinner. Guys, his love for us in the midst of our sinful state and our sinful nature, he still loves us. This leads us straight into that next beatitude that says, blessed are those who mourn. This is that place where we get this grief, this sinfulness, this this repentance. It happens. It, it, It needs to happen. It goes from the inside and moves to the outside. We're literally moving this pain these shortcomings from our inside to our outside and releasing it to God. Guys, 
this isn't a one and done sort of thing. It's a continuous journey because I don't know about you, but I've, I've done some sinning since I first started following the Lord. And this journey, it, it takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. And we want to revisit these places over and over and over again. Let's take time this week. Let's think through these things. And guys, I can't wait to get back together again in our next episode. Thanks for listening. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with me. I appreciate it so much. I pray that this episode was able to encourage you in some way, shape, or form. And I ask if it has, would you just please take a moment and leave a review? Let others know what you think about the podcast. Because when you do, what it does is it elevates this podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find encouragement to their day. 